a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Welcome back, Rebels and Imperials, to Force Ghost Coast to Coast. My name is Brian. With me, as always, are Liz and Matt. And we are here to talk about the first season of Star Wars Rebels. Now, we had done a, a series we called Liz Reviews the Clone Wars, when she had not seen the Clone Wars, and we're doing a similar thing here. Matt has seen Rebels at least twice, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Correct. I have seen Rebels once all the way through. This is Liz's first viewing of Rebels. Um... And I feel like Rebels is a bit of an odd show because on one hand, it is clearly shooting for sort of the young audience that Clone Wars flirted with early on as well. But I think it doesn't do, it doesn't go as far into the sort of goofy silliness all the time. Mm -hmm. And it also has, I think... Like way more story happens in Clone in Rebels than happened in Clone Wars. Like when you think about the Clone Wars overall, there aside from the Ahsoka arc, there's not a ton that like is plot based in that. Right, there are these little vignettes. You get a, a scene on this planet. You get a, a, a couple of episodes here and there that give you mm-hmm. a little bit of insight. But there's not like an overarching plot that goes through six seasons unless you're talking about just the Ahsoka stuff. But Rebels has a much more like straightforward path through story. So before I get to Liz and her first impression, Matt, I know you're you're a, a big, big fan of, of Rebels. So why don't you tell I us am. sort of why you love Rebels without spoiling anything beyond the first season for Liz? I think I, I like Rebels because it encapsulates um, what, as a kid... And I think in many of us who were kids watching Star Wars, remember Star Wars as, like, I remember it being, like, the Moss Eisley cantina scene, Jabba's palace, the gritty uh, rogues and scoundrels, which really is a collective 20 minutes of three films. (laughs) Um, And I think Rebels really capitalizes on that. Um, and it shows a, again, grittier version of Star Wars, but it also, for me, shows a much more realistic idea of what heroism looks like in a world like this. It shows the costs of fighting a rebellion. It shows what um, it means to love and to lose and to fight um, in ways that really ring emotionally true for this series in ways that I think a lot of times it just falls flat otherwise. And I think it just has a lot of depth, um, at least compared to other Star Wars series, whether it be animated, film, or TV series, honestly. Yeah, I think that's a really good way of summarizing it. I think to me... One of the bits about Rebels that I appreciate is that with the prequels, no matter how good things are in any one scene in the prequels, you're aware that the other shoe is going to drop at some point. There's going to be Order 66. There's going to be Darth Vader instead of Anakin Skywalker. There's going to be Exile for Obi-Wan. And so Clone Wars exists in this time where 
you know it's it's like the roaring 20s, right? You know that eventually the stock market's going to crash and bring all mm-hmm. of that to a close. And then with the original trilogy, it's sort of this inverse of that, where, where you know that things start off bleak, there's the empire, blah, 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 but by the end of it, it's going to be triumph. Rebels falls in neither one of those areas. You know that the Rebels aren't going to win with a capital W and defeat the Empire. But you don't know if these characters are going to survive. You don't know their fates at all. It's not like it's Anakin where you, or Obi-Wan where you're aware of what's happening. So you're allowed... You go into this series, I think, with a lot more... Um, there's genuine curiosity about the characters and a, a mm-hmm. real sense of shit these people could die at any moment this could there, there's real stakes to it is sort of how i feel about rebels but liz you're the most important opinion of the show tonight what did you think of the first series as uh, first season well i i agree with all of the things that both of you said i went into this you know i think with some preconceived notions maybe thinking this would be a bit like clone wars and was pleasantly surprised to find that, you know, it wasn't like Clone Wars and that I think the season was a bit shorter than those earlier versions of Clone Wars. Mm-hmm. And like I think, Brian, you mentioned you, the season, and I think Matt even mentioned too, I, the season was tighter. It was a, a coherent story. Um, I feel like Clone Wars, there were <laughs> some, you know, just random droid episodes right. though r2po mm-hmm. did show up you know it, there was a purpose to it um you know it was clear there was a, a coherent story here which i liked and i really liked even just the first two episodes um which i think with clone wars it took me you know a long time to sort of get into that series um I, you know, at first it took me a little bit to, you know, remember who all the characters were. I wrote down their names. Um, but, you know, after a few episodes, I knew who they were. And it, it seemed easy to get to know them. Um, when I was, when we were watching um, Bad Batch, I feel like it was, I don't know, difficult maybe for me to get to know the different characters here. Somehow it was easy for me to get to know who was who. Maybe because they look different. I don't know. Right, yeah. Um, where it was just the writing also. The writing just seemed easy, um, which is what I liked about this show, too. I found myself making a lot of better than Ezra jokes to myself, which <laughs> was just my age. I don't know when I grew up, uh, but those were uh, yeah. fresh in my mind. But and I like that. Reminds, um, I, I have to interrupt here with, with, with my, yeah, one of my favorite Norm MacDonald jokes of all time, which is that. Uh, Better than Ezra hit the number hit number two on yeah. the modern rock charts this week in the number one position. Ezra. Ezra. <laughs> all, right, all right, rather reverse that. Number one was better than Ezra. Number two was Ezra. Yep, there we go. Okay, but yes. Anyway, yeah. go, go ahead. Um, but I I liked um, you know, this whole idea of you know Ezra sort of being by himself in the beginning. I you know being maybe this sort of selfish um kid alone and then finding this you know, found family um and by the end of just this first season I, you know he developed this um ability to help others and look to help others i liked uh that here in a show that maybe is in some ways you know meant for kids but i think that's something good for kids and adults as well yes yeah so, so uh, um i do want to sort of go character by character with you through these through this first season because there are a lot of characters here 
um, I mean, maybe a lot is the wrong way to put it, but there, there's there's a, a hefty, there's like five or six really important characters here, mm-hmm. uh, and then there's also a couple of ancillary characters that will become more important going forward. But before we get to that, Liz, did you know anything about the sort of plot of the show or the characters or anything like that going in? Um, I think was Sabine in Clone Wars. No. No. Mm-mm. Hera was. Hera was. Yeah. Okay. And maybe she was the one I was thinking of then. So no, I didn't really know anything about anyone going into this. Okay. I mean, Sabine is also like, um, just she's a Mandalorian, right? So we we get a lot of Mandalore content in Clone Wars. Yeah, that's probably what I was thinking of. Yeah. Um, and I believe. Well, I'll get to that later. Okay. Um, but yeah, so um, let's start with with you mentioned Ezra a little bit. You know this this sort of uh, the Wikipedia describes him as a teenage con artist, and that seems about right um, of a descriptor for him. But you know, I think a lot of people's aversion to the clo- to rebels rather early on was they found Ezra annoying. Did you find Ezra annoying early on? You know what? I didn't. And usually, a lot of times I do find, I was thinking to myself, sometimes I find when there are kids that are the main character, I find them annoying, but I didn't. Matt, did you did you find Ezra annoying early on? Uh, n- no. Uh, not really. I mean, again, part of it is, you know, I watched luke skywalker as a kid so <laughs> right yes. really comparatively he's this he's a gem yeah it, and i think part of it is he kind of i mean on some level has to be because there needs to be some sort of growth mm-hmm. right it, I, it is I, interesting to see like an annoying kid with the only time in all of star wars someone has a real legitimate like not father figure but at least a mentor uh for more than eight minutes <laughs> so that's true that's true he he has Kanan for far longer than uh than we see other folks uh other jedi with their mentors let's talk about Kanan. um did it click for you liz that this is the jedi that we see in the first episode of the bad batch with his escape from uh his death at the hands of the clone troopers mm, it 100 percent did not brian mm-hmm. Yeah, so do we know at this point that Matt, or did I just spoil that for Liz? We know his name at this point, right? Caleb Doom. We know that. Uh, mm, well, uh, it depends. In the series, I don't think they use Caleb Doom until the final season. Okay, but, but we know that he was. We the, knew it from the comic series. The comic okay. series had like an alternate version of it. Okay, but he does openly talk about um his master. So they, you'd be able to put the pieces together. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't think they talk about the stage name until much, much later. Oh, okay. My apologies then. Yeah, it's, it's okay. But the but yeah, so I mean, this is a character that you had seen before then, and also you heard his voice in the Rise of Skywalker. Okay. Uh, he's one of the voices when Rey is having her like download of all the Jedi talking to her. Mm-hmm. He's one that, of the voices there. Um, that fantastic film. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> He uh, he is voiced by uh, Dreamboat Freddie Prince Jr. Uh, I do uh, do love Freddie Prince. And uh, you know, I, I think this is one of this is one of the better. I mean, not that there's a lot of bad voice casting in Star Wars, but I think that 
Freddie Prince is really good as as Kanan. I just think that he embodies the role really well. Well, what were your initial Kanan thoughts? I liked him as a character. I did like the fact that he doubted himself as as a leader, as a mentor, and we saw that more as we moved on uh, through the different episodes. You know, that Ezra doubted himself, and, you know, maybe his mentor did a bit too, and that he came to find that perhaps, you know, he could be a good uh, mentor for Ezra. I liked that. Okay. Matt, what are your what yeah. are your season one Ezra thoughts? Um, I think for... Um... I think really though what really defines Canon in this season is not, just not Ezra. I said Ezra. Sorry, my Canon. <laughs> I know what I, you know what I meant. Yep. Um, it's really just the reluctance, and I think that's again it's these little character flaws that no one else in Star Wars seems to have that really make them relatable. Like he's not willing to jump feet first into saving the universe. Um. He's reluctant to um, become a Jedi mentor. He's reluctant to become um, an out-and-out rebel. He really he wants to do good, but he's scared because the thing that he was part of that was doing good around the entire universe collapsed. Mm-hmm. Um, but his willingness to put that aside and make the right choice makes him a very heroic character too which is what i like about him he also is the first jedi that we encounter where we see that he is he is dismissing i mean i guess we to be fair we saw anakin do this but anakin did this in secret we see him dismissing the idea of not having personal attachments, mm-hmm. right? Like he is very clearly in a relationship with Hera. He is happy in that relationship, and he is never wavering on his feelings for Hera. That mm-hmm. that that appears to be not even a consideration in his life, which is which is again interesting, and is um is so different than Anakin and Padme's relationship where you see you know I don't think he ever doubted his feelings for her but so much of their feelings for one another are hidden in the secrecy of their relationship and that's mm-hmm. that's just not even a piece of this here and uh I think that obviously with the Jedi order more or less destroyed there'd be no reason for him to hold on to like <laughs> the most restrictive parts of that <laughs> but I think it shows that 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 is not an important part of the Jedi order right like he is he is no less powerful a force wielder because of this Mm -hmm. and that's good all right let's talk about uh i guess let's go to hera next so hera syndula uh what season of clone wars did we see her in matt uh six that's what i thought the one that was just put out yeah um because we see her as a little kid because we see her father way back when Mm-hmm. Um, who's a famous uh, Twi'lek um, like saboteur rebel and then we see her and Chopper in season 6 okay. yeah I, I couldn't remember I knew we saw her when she was young but I couldn't remember if that had predated if it was a if 
that was the first time a viewer would have seen Hera or if we would have known it to be Hera and we would have known it to be Hera because that came out after. after yeah, episodes, that, so. that ended up being more of a callback to Rebels. Right, yeah. Uh, but Hera is, you know, she is uh, <laughs> one of the many people in Star Wars who claim to be like the best pilot in the galaxy. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Pablo Hidalgo does say that she is a better pilot than Han Solo. Oh, wow. Ooh. There you wow. go. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. I, has he weighed in on her versus Poe Dameron? I don't, I don't know. I don't mm, think so. Poe Dameron Got also me. makes that claim. Mm-hmm. Uh, sidebar here. I am currently writing about the, there was a DC comic series called Who's Who that was like an encyclopedia of DC Comics characters. And every like fourth person is listed as an Olympic level athlete. And it makes me crazy because I feel like there's <laughs> no way that every single superhero is an Olympic level athlete. That's just... So that that is the equivalent of the saying you're the best pilot in the galaxy Mm -hmm. uh, for DC Comics. But yeah, um, Hera is about as um, I think Hera is the character that would fit best into sort of what we saw the rebellion as in A New Hope. Like I I think it, it wouldn't be that hard to imagine Hera in this current like as she is in uh like it, it showing up in a new hope or rogue one do you guys agree with that i mean she was cameoed in rogue one yeah i i know that and you know that but you know <laughs> but in terms of having like a speaking role you know like yes like... i i agree she she is um very much a piece of that rebellion that that larger um round table of rebels she would fit there. I think she, I don't know if they're going to, I think she very much would fit into the Cassian TV show. Yes. Mm. Which starts uh, in like almost exactly a month from when we're recording this. Uh, oh. Possibly six months when you're hearing this, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's it's a whole other story. Um, I'm excited for Andor. I, I think that I, I have a lot of theories on who's going to be involved with that. And, and we'll talk about that in a future episode. Or a past episode. Again, time is weird. It happens. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, Liz, what did you think of Hera? I, I liked Hera a lot. It seems to be that she's almost the glue that holds everyone together, mm-hmm. at least from this first season. I, you know, that she's integral to everything that happens within this group of rebels. You know, she's not just the pilot of the ship here, but she's, you know, in some sense, the pilot of all of them. I don't know if that's cheesy or not, but she's just always up for getting things done when she's involved in that episode with Lando. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he sort of springs it on her that she's the trade for whatever is going on there, that like mining um, little creature. You know, she rolls with it um, and she gets the job done. And it seems like that's, you know, the kind of person she is. Yeah. I, I keep trying to think of the word. I, I, the word traditional keeps popping in my head, and that's the wrong word. But she just seems to me like she is the most maybe, like, rank-and-file member of the Rebellion. It just seems like she is – she's somebody who – I think no matter where her life was bringing her, she would have wound up in the Rebellion. It just seems mm-hmm. like she's built for this. Yeah. Whereas you could see other characters from the Ghost Crew not necessarily winding up in these circumstances. She seems like she is like the true blue rebel of oh, yeah. them. 100%. She's 
she's where she's supposed to be. Yeah, yeah. And I, I love the dynamic between um, Kanan and Hera because in a lot of ways it sort of bucks the traditional like male-female relationship roles that we've seen in so many uh, bits of media for, you know, a thousand years at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but she is she is no she is no less strong or forceful or um in command than Kanan is mm-hmm. in their relationship and mm-hmm. that's yeah. it, it the ghost is her ship yes yes she is in charge end of story yep and i love that about her mhm yeah um let's talk about i think the consensus least favorite episode uh Crew, member of the crew and that's zeb and that's no offense to zeb but uh zeb is not maybe the most deep of the characters that we're going to encounter <laughs> along our rebels journey uh i feel like matt's gonna get mad at me for saying that no no I, it, it's you're not wrong he's chewbacca that speaks basic yeah i mean he literally was the original drawing for chewbacca i did um, not know that uh, mm-hmm. really? uh, it the the art direction of rebels a lot of the things that they get come directly from the original sketches for a new hope oh wow um it's really really interesting to see how a lot of that is translated into rebels it's pretty cool um but yeah that's that was the original concept for chewbacca wow there's yeah. that joke I think in one episode about he's like how he's like a hairless Wookiee or whatever mm-hmm. when they're trying to sneak him in or <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. yeah real, real goofball very much the uh, the Jane if you're gonna have a a Firefly connection to it mm-hmm. but then also the storyline gets real dark real quick when it's uh just genocide and you're like oh yeah that's okay yeah. And th- there is something coming with his character that has never been like officially decreed, but everybody I know who watched Rebels believes something about about Zeb in the last season. Uh, oh. That is very that is very interesting from a Star Wars point of view, and uh, I I can't wait to get to eventually when we talk about that season. Mm. Um, interesting. I think you know what I'm talking about, Matt. But you, I, I, I'm trying to purposely stay vague about mm, it. No, that's fair. That's fair. Um, but I, I, I think <laughs> uh, I think if, well, like if, it, if I was in more... so many ways, the rest of the series gets better. Yes, I, I think that much like the Clone Wars, this is by far the worst season of Rebels. Oh, all right. Well, that's, um, that's good because this was we, we we could have done with a single episode with fan service in it. We didn't need every character to pop up. And be like, hey, remember, this is Star Wars. Yes. <laughs> like, <fuck."> yes. <laughs> well, I, I think that – and we'll talk about Sabine in one second before we get off the characters too much. But I think that um, for a show like this, you have – there has to be like a proof of concept. right? You have to make people – give people a reason to watch. And I feel like there are a number of people out there who are basically conditioned SEALs who will just bark and clap their flippers whenever they see Lando show up, right? Or a mm-hmm. character like that. So I, I understand why they want to put that stuff in there so that you can get excited, so you can get people who are maybe casual fans to tune in because characters that they know and love are going to be showing up in these episodes. Um, 
But that said, I'm with you, Matt. I think the show gets far more interesting when it stops being concerned with the guest stars. Yeah, agreed. And focus. And again, more. guest stars that make like Tarkin coming in makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. Um, Lando somehow being on this planet we've never heard of, uh, with you know, a blow up pig or whatever. <laughs> Not as much. Yeah. Um. I, I'm I'm making I'm going to say this out loud so you guys make me talk about it after we talk about Sabine. I want to talk about the Dave Filoni of it all in a few minutes. Mm-hmm. But let's let's first talk about Sabine. So Sabine, as we mentioned before, she's a Mandalorian. She is a uh, a graffiti artist, essentially. Uh, this is one of the things that I think on paper sounds really cheesy, but I think is actually pulled off better than you'd expect in on the show itself, although it's still probably one of the, um, I don't want to say lazier characterizations, but I feel like it's just... It goes it goes a bit over the top at points, her like obsession with, with art. Um mm-hmm. but again, I, I haven't like and there's a lot with the character, with the family, with House Wren, all of that all of that becomes very important later on and really builds the Mandalorian mythology up. So mm-hmm. I, I know Matt is a huge fan of Mandalorian mythology, so mm-hmm. uh what are your thoughts on Sabine before we get to Liz's? I, I like Sabine and I I like her compared to the um both compared to what we saw of Mandalore in Clone Wars and also what we end up seeing of Mandalore in this series is she exists as this kind of outcast um from a super traditional planet just trying to be you know super new york it really is what it is um so i i like her i i I like her a lot and not just because of her voice actor but (laughs) which is uh tia (laughs) sakar i love her she was in um uh good place she played um oh i forget who she played in good place uh i forget I'm sure our listeners can look it up if they're if they're interested. Yeah, but yeah, um, she's she's great. You've seen her. She's Vicky in Good Place. Um, but again, I think she's another one. This the voice acting in this is just good. Um, so I think she embodies that like could be annoying. Um, but I I'm I'm able to tolerate the youthfulness of her. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Liz, what do you think of Sabine? Um, I, I feel like at this point, I don't know too much about her, just based on the first season. I, you know, other than she does like to uh, paint things. She's obviously important within this mm-hmm. group of rebels, but I feel like she's sort of the latest sketch character at this point. That That is, yeah, I think season one, really, she has a single personality trait and that it's painting things yes yeah like at the end of I think that last episode like well we didn't destroy that tie fighter but wait till you see it <laughs> right <just> yeah <laughs> yeah it, it's just a little silly but but i think it works um all right so i want to talk about dave filoni for a second here so dave filoni was obviously one of the architects behind uh, the clone wars but that was 
at least from my impression, there was a lot of George Lucas involved with that. There was a lot of notes that he was getting, and he was following a plan that he was maybe co-plotting, but was but he was definitely sharing it more with George Lucas. This feels far more like the like unfiltered Dave Filoni. Matt, would you agree with that? Yes, I I agree. That's why I feel. The episodes that this feel this whole series feels most alike are the um, the oh, I forget the the Children of the Force episodes. Mm-hmm. It really leans into that. Where can we bring Star Wars as a vehicle and take it to new places? I think that's what Dave Filoni wants is to tell new stories in this world that we all collectively love. Yeah, I mean and th- this is this is also the first of the shows that is not listed as at least co-created by George Lucas. So it's Filoni, oh. uh Simon Kinberg and Carrie Beck are the listed as the creators for it and uh I believe this I believe the reason why is that this was conceived of directly after the sale to Disney. So Lucas was officially out at Lucasfilm at that point. Um but I think like things like going back to Ralph McQuarrie's original sketches, that's just such a Felony thing because Felony is such a Star Wars historian above all else. Mm-hmm. Because he loves everything with Star Wars. And so I think that it makes sense that he goes back to that. You know, it makes sense that Felony and John Favreau bring things like you know, the Mandalorian's gun is the same gun from the cartoon in the holiday special, right? Like mm-hmm. they just they just love finding ways to incorporate all this like miscellany and uh, apocrypha into the show or into the shows rather. And so I think that there's there's a lot of that that happens here. But I also think that Filoni has a reputation sometimes for maybe focusing things a little bit too much to the younger audience. And I think that that criticism is fair in points. And I think you can see in this first season sort of maybe him fighting against that a little bit. He's doing that a little here. But it seems like as the show goes on, there is less and less that is really targeted at, like, the the tween audience that, Mm -hmm. that some of these episodes definitely feel like they are targeted towards. Yeah, I, I was I was surprised. I had thought the um, the episode uh, the the rise of the old masters with uh, Master Luminara. Mm-hmm. I thought that had come much later because I did not realize that that's pretty close to the beginning of the series. It is like yeah. they open on that dark of a note. Um, so I think that's I think that's also what helps set the tone is that the first season is not a series of victories right it's you know minor um wins and then some big losses and i think that you know again makes it compelling um but also yeah it's not i don't think it feels as cookie cutter as i remembered it being for the first season yeah i think i think once you sorry liz go ahead no go ahead it's fine no please yeah, I was gonna say yeah. Some of these episodes were a little bit dark, which, which I thought was good. The mm-hmm. the one episode that did remind me a bit of 
uh, Clone Wars was the one where Ezra was like undercover as one of those stormtrooper cadets. Mm-hmm. And he was allied with that one um, that one other cadet whose sister was missing. Yes, I felt like that episode was very Clone Wars for some reason. Yeah, when they were well, like. Yeah. When they were going through like mm-hmm. the training, I felt like he did a lot of that in Clone Wars. Yes. It almost reminded me, did like Obi Wan disguise himself, or someone did, and they infiltrated somewhere? I don't know. Something about that just felt as like- bounty hunters. Okay, mm-hmm. it very much has that same story. Um, yeah, and this the, includes a cadence too, like the just the general. It, that also launched a young adult novel. Oh, sorry, Brian. No good. I was going to say, that also launched a young adult novel series, didn't it? I believe there's at least one book that was launched from there, yes. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, but yeah. he didn't find his sister either. Like, I felt like that was a little dark. Yeah. And again, like you said, Liz, I think that's good. I think it's good that not every episode is a um, – is like – a victory. I think, especially because of the time period that this takes place, and we know the rebellion isn't super successful at this point. So it would seem disingenuous. To this. Why is this one rebel cell always winning? Like it just so successful. <laughs> yeah. uh, it, it just seems like a, a bad, a, a bad, uh, you know, model to go on if that's what they're trying to do. But there's there's a lot to like in this first season for sure, and there's I think. A ton of things that when you look back on it, you're like, oh, that was really important. I didn't realize how important that was at the time. Like, all of that goes, you get so much more of that in the next season. Mm. And the next season is a longer season. You know, this one was only, I believe, 15 episodes, right? Yes. Yeah, 15. The, the next one is 22. It is a more traditional length of episode, a uh, length of season, rather. But it also has some of the best I, w- I i would say some of the best star wars stories ever in it mm-hmm. um specifically the season 2 finale is mm-hmm. incredibly important and the season 2 finale involves quite a bit a character who shows up in the last episode which is ahsoka which it's somewhat spoiled for Liz because we've seen Ahsoka post Return of the Jedi. But the last time, and again, that season six of the Clone Wars was not out at the time that this premiered. So the last time we saw Ahsoka, if I'm not mistaken, Matt, it's her walking away from the Order, correct? Yep, correct. So there, we uh, didn't uh, know that we had no idea if Ahsoka was going to be a part of this. There was, there was no real indicator of that. So this was a big deal when this happened. Um, what did you think of Ahsoka's brief appearance here? Was she the one? She had like a code name, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I forget what it was, but I was wondering who that Fulcrum. was. And then for some reason in my mind, like I knew she was in this series. And then she showed up. I was like, oh, shit, it's Ahsoka. And then it was very exciting. Because <laughs> for some reason I didn't expect her to show up at the end of... Uh, season one here so it was great it reminded me that she was going to be here um so it was fun to see and i guess she appears then in season two yes and i liked that um they found out you know that there are other rebels that they're not the only ones um and then you know vader showed up as well so 
Oh yeah, yeah I forgot. I forgot that he he shows up at the end of this season. Yeah. Because <laughs> also it it's easier now. So I I liked Rebels so much. I bought them on, um, like the Google Video on demand series. That's how I watched and, them with your with mm-hmm. your YouTube TV password or whatever. Yeah, there, there's a time before <laughs> Disney Plus. Um, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't too it, long ago. <laughs> yeah, and it was it. The seasons get broken up really weird. Like they get broken up. Some episodes get turned into like standalone movies. So I had forgotten kind of how everything ordered together a little bit because of that. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, Vader. Yeah. Yeah, so, of course, I'm excited for more Ahsoka, and I feel like I've heard both of you talk about uh, her here in the series, so Mm -hmm. curious to see where where all this goes. Yeah, there's going to be a couple of things that are not going to land the same way for you, knowing what you know now. Okay. Um, But I don't think it's going to lessen the enjoyment of it. Mm -hmm. You'll just sort of know that there's more to it, right? Um, Yeah. But overall, what what are your thoughts on this first season? Did you enjoy the first season experience? I did, yeah. And I, I think I enjoyed it more than I thought I would. Oh, good. Yeah. Um, I, and I think because I, I think mainly because I equated it with Clone Wars because the animated nature of it. Um, and, you know, those first seasons of Clone Wars were tough. But yeah, I, I did. I enjoyed it more than I thought I would, yeah. um, to be honest with you. Yeah, um, I yeah I thought the stories in each episode were were great. Um, they were good, and I liked the characters. Like I said, um, and I I think like we brought up here, like not all of the stories are tied up neatly, and not everything is happy go lucky. Um, you know, I, there are some dark things, which I I think um, makes adds to the season, makes the season better. And one of the things I will say, the first season does a little bit, but the subsequent ones do really well, is I feel like sometimes Star Wars feels like it's a binary choice between Jedi stories and not Jedi stories. Mm -hmm. And this does both at the same time. Mm, Like, we very much get Ezra and Kanan on this path to wielding the Force. At the same time, we get stories about Sabine and Hera who have nothing to do with that. Right, so mm-hmm. I, I think it's it's nice that it's not a, an either or; it's a both. It's yeah. also the first time that we really see light side, dark side not being a binary choice. Mm. That's true. Also, yes. Yeah, yeah. Also, a good point. Yeah, which we immediately walk back from in the you know sequel trilogy, but that's all right. So I. You know what? This is. I, I was gonna say something about a future episode, but that is definitely coming out before this one, so I'm gonna leave that alone. Oh, okay. Because people have already <laughs> heard me talk about that, but I'll talk about it with you guys off the air. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, this is going to be a fun journey through uh, the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're gonna try to get at least one more of these banked before the end of the summer, and we'll we'll see when folks hear them. I don't know. <laughs> Again. <laughs> Uh, our release schedule is a little bit crazy right now but that's okay so uh, just remember though until next time the force will be with you always